double shot with your favourite cousins. James and Alex Fitzgerald. James, there are many coincidences or coinkydinks in life and I wanted to ask you, have you ever experienced a crazy coinkydink? Plenty, plenty. Uh, the one that jumps out and I always think about it, whenever anyone says coincidence, I'm taken <laughs> back to this one coincidence in my life which was uh, mm. 2013, my wife Hannah and I had just started dating and I was going to a game of football with all my friends and um, invited Hannah along and uh, introduced her to my friends, you know, as we were about to get on the bus and gain and do all that. And uh, she, <laughs> out of nowhere, says, Deegs, what are you doing here? How do you know, James? And oh, he says, Hannah, how do you know? And and your initial thoughts when you introduce, a, a, you know, someone that you're really interested in to a friend is, oh, no, don't tell me there's history. Fortunately, that that wasn't it wasn't that kind of history, romantic history, but it Lovely. was that uh, they grew up next door to each other no. for the first half of their life. They were next door neighbours and and had what? not made uh, we had not made that connection. No, because it, I mean, unless they've seen each other recently, you wouldn't. Well, it's and not not exactly you know yeah something that you bring up on on dates when you first start going no. out with someone. Is there who'd you grow That's up weird. next to? No, 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 that's weird. And he's and he's one of your besties. One of my best mates, yeah. Wow, that's actually a good one. I never knew that. Yeah, never knew there you that. go. So you've got uh, to ask what these about questions. You? i got a crazy one. A it's crazy, crazy one? Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so basically put, I was with my, my dad and, and my brother and uh, we're in a small town in Italy and no one spoke English mm-hmm. and uh, we, were, we were skiing on this particular trip and uh, Dad and, and Kane, absolute speedheads. And I, I am a bit of a speedhead as well, but uh, at that point in my life, I, I must have been 15 or 16, they were a lot better than me, a lot faster than me. So basically they'd skied off, I'd lost them, and uh, I basically found myself by myself and I had to find my way down to the bottom of the mountain and I'd gone, you know, they'd gone right, I'd gone left kind of thing. So it wasn't like they were waiting for me at the bottom. Anyway, I get down to the bottom and I'm thinking, I got my phone doesn't have data roaming. Uh, no one speaks English. I'm in a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> where, where were you? In I was Europe. in uh, Cortina in Italy. Oh, Italy. Italy. Oh. Cortina. Anyway, yeah. so bus came around and all I could recognise on the bus was the little township name where I knew where we were staying. Mm-hmm. So I saw that and I thought, all right, I'll get on that and I'll just see if I can recognise anything. So I get on the bus and I've got like all my ski gear on, I've got a helmet on, you know, goggles, like, you know, you can't, you can't really see me. Anyway, I get on this bus and I triple glance at this kid who's standing up on the bus as well by himself and, I th- and I'm thinking, that can't, no, that can't be. And I said, Sam, Sam. Anyway, this guy turns around. It's my neighbour from three doors down no on way. my street, Sam Bartell, who went to your school, uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, I know Sam, yeah. And I was like, You've seen him you in the middle here? of Italy. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I've lost, I've lost my family. And like, and he's like, yeah, and how bizarre I can't remember what he was doing, if he was on a family holiday or what, but he, for some reason, was by himself as well. I can't remember why, but literally didn't, I didn't have a lot to do with him, so I didn't really, you know, 
But it, but it makes you wonder these strange coincidences in life where you're in a place that doesn't speak English. You know, were we exposed to the same advertising that made us decide to go to that particular town? Like, I don't know, but trips me out to this day because he literally lived three doors down from me and I had no idea he was going on that trip and I was lost. I was lost and alone. A bit scared. So uh, last week we talked about the three reasons not to buy a property. I thought maybe this week we'll do the common mistakes that first time... In fact, not just first time, but let's just say the common mistakes property investors make because, you know, there's a there's a great saying that I love, property investment, it's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Um, so a lot of the things, you know, there, there's nothing too complicated about them, um, yeah. but most people don't do them. So they're basic, but hard to do and hard to do well. So what do you got? Let's uh, let's go through a, a, bit of, a bit of a list of the, just the main ones here. Kick us off, will you? I want to say the the first uh, mistake that that we can make is doing it all by ourselves. You know, so going directly uh, to the property, or, or you know, like going going online uh, on realestate.com, choosing the property ourselves, and then going to buy it by ourselves, and then going directly to one bank. You know, like literally doing it all ourselves. So you know, not using an expert or, or not using a broker or a team. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, just not not having a team around you to advise you on on the different facets. So it's mm. not just about buying the property, but it's also the finance component and, and maybe even the tax and, and cash flow component. So yeah, doing it by yourself, I would say. Equally, big mistake. equally important would be you know a mentor of sorts, whether that's a family member, a friend, yeah, uh, professional, you know, someone someone that's done it that can kind of help you help you avoid making some of the mistakes uh, at the outset. Um, Absolutely, de- definitely. I like that one. Uh, I, I'm going to go with buying land. One in two property investors don't buy land. They own an apartment. Mm. And, um, you know, we're going to maybe do a little breakout on, on apartments versus other types of property. But I think, um, you know, the land's the part that grows in value. So by buying an apartment, you know, it's not that it's a bad investment, but you're missing out on the part that's growing. And yeah. so one in two Property investors don't buy the part that's going to grow in value, so I think I think they're just leaving a bit on the table there as mm. a mistake. Uh, what do you got next? I think buying something that's like very cash flow negative um, is a is a common mistake, and I w- I also want to tack on to that that um, people might look at what they're purchasing the property for, and then what the rents they're gonna what rent is that they're gonna get, and they go, oh, I'm cash flow positive. But they maybe not have considered that, like it's a seriously um, uh, cash-intensive property, which therefore makes it cash flow negative. I.e., it's got bucket loads of maintenance or really high-body corporate fees, mm. yada yada, and it's significantly cash flow negative uh, even before and after tax. So maybe I'd say it's a mistake to look at cash flow on on face value, um, and then further buy a cash flow negative property. It is the oxygen of investing. Yep, I like oh, yeah. that one. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, you talked about going direct to one bank. Yes. I'm going to stick to to a banking one next, which is Ooh. to cross collateralize. Uh, and again, like with apartments, we might do a little breakout on it because it, it is one that probably needs to be unpacked. But a lot of people have all of their properties with the one bank and all linked together. And that will often be the difference between getting stuck on one or two investment properties and being able to keep growing and having the flexibility uh, to grow your portfolio. So cross-collateralization 
uh, is a trap for a lot of people. Let's debate that later. I think. Okay. And you want to wrap it it up? Want to close it out with the the last big mistake here? I do. And uh, that is, it's got to be twofold, but it both relates to bank valuation. Number one is they don't shop the the bank valuation. And when I say shop, uh, that is they just take the first bank valuation from the first bank that they get and then they work their finance around that. Every valuer, it still shocks me to this day, will have a different opinion on the market value of your property. Mm. So getting two, even three valuations is gold. Obviously, you've got to mm. go to a, a lender that, you know, will will lend you. But, you know, you want to put in as little cash as, as possible and get, get your property recognized for its value. So I think you want to shop the bank valuation. And number two, uh, which bundles into that is it shocks me how so many people don't actually make a record or, or get a copy of the bank valuation yeah. uh, at the time. Um, you know, sometimes in, in this day and, and age, it's very hard to get a copy, but it, you don't know until you ask. Um, mm. And, and uh, I've seen some brokers have got good pull with the banks um, and, and other brokers, uh, you know, maybe they don't use that one as much. But it's really important to know what your valuation came in at, um, at, at the bare minimum. I remember... Five or six years ago, my broker got a copy of the bank valuation on on my home and and said, um, you know, hey, here's the sales that they used. Um, yeah. You're at eighty two percent at the moment. Do you think there's another sale there or any any other commentary, you know, that might be able to bump you down below eighty percent? I had a look and there was a missing sale. I, I gave it to them and, and they were, it ended up getting me just under 80%. They revised the figure up by maybe a couple of percent, but it put me under 80%, which gave me another, you know, 0.2 or 0.3% interest rate savings. So that bank valuation and, and the sales that they've used, it can really have a big difference. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, I'd say 90% of property investors wouldn't get a copy or know that they can get a copy. There you go. Big, big mistake, that one. Um, and, and something that, uh, can really help you if done well later, like all of those things. But there you go. Common mistakes made by property investors, first time or second, whatever. Okay. So we talked about before mistakes, uh, or one of the mistakes is not buying land. Um, so I guess to unpack that a little bit more, we want to talk about why we're not crazy about apartments. Now, look, I mean, it's not to say that there haven't been apartments that have grown in value or have ended up being quite good investments for people, but full disclosure, James and I, not crazy about them, and it's purely because they they don't have the land um, content, which is where we get most of the growth. Um, But uh, also the data suggests that they are inferior um, to the median house price or or buying a house or or buying land. Um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, um, as the saying goes, there's only truth in numbers. They can't lie. And the numbers are in <laughs> Southeast Queensland. So I've taken an apartment versus a house price versus land price in Lovely. Southeast Queensland. So obviously I haven't picked, you know, I've, I've just picked general data. So yes, you're right. There are some apartments definitely that, that do well. It's just that we're, I wouldn't even say that we're cr- not crazy about apartments. It's just that we're a lot more crazy about land. <laughs> Uh, and so sure. apartment in 1987 okay. cost you $58,000. Bargain. Today, the median house price on a apartment in southeast Queensland is $501,000. Okay. So it's done well 
increased by 7.6 times, healthy. Uh, let's, let's now look at a house. So a house, uh, $62,300. Uh, at the time in 1987, today mm-hmm. worth $864,000. So increased by 13 times. It's done a lot better uh, than the apartment. Both done really well. It's just that yep. the house has done better. And the reason for that is the land. You know, if, if you then go a layer deeper and look mm-hmm. at a block of land, a block of land's gone from $16,000 to $460,000. So you know, really, really good return, the majority mm-hmm. of, of the growth. But what, what's actually, you know, even more significant is the blocks of land have gotten smaller. That's so you're right. comparing 1,000 square metres for $16,000 with 400 me- uh, square metres for $460,000. So what's that work out to be? Um, $16 a square metre, now $900 <laughs> square metre. Either yeah. way, it's, it's, it's more than 50 times return. So it's That's more right. that we're crazy about land. Well, and look, I mean, you've you've hit the nail on the head when, when we talk about what the what size blocks were. Um, I mean, in this example, 1987, they were probably circa on average 1,000 uh, square metres, you know, maybe even more, 1,100 square metres. Now the average is, is just on or less than 400 square metres. So the, the, the true growth is, is far more significant um, when you consider how dense we're going. And, you know, people sort of say, well, well, that opportunity's lost now. You know, if I can only buy a 400 square metre block, you know, I can't go back in time and buy that 1,000 square metre block. But as you and I love to talk about, well, they're cutting blocks down to sort of 80 square metres in some yeah. councils. So you do actually have that opportunity today if you can buy a 400, 500 square metre block of land. I mean, you've got, you've got to buy what you can afford ultimately and, and if you can lock in the land, um, even better, but do not underestimate that getting more dense as our cities populate further. Look, more people will live in apartments going forward. Roughly, they're much 25... more affordable, right? They're affordable. They they Th- hit an affordability bracket on on purchase and also rent. Thirty percent of um, people living in an apartment or townhouse today, that number will will be seventy percent in twenty mm. thirty years time. That's the reality. Um, yep. You know, so it's not that people won't live in them. It's just that, you know, if you're going to buy for an investment purpose, it's the land that's going to become more valuable. Exactly. And look, you know, in 50 years, it might be that uh, apartments are a bit better. (laughs) But until then, I think land is superior. Okay, so we just talked about apartments versus land. Um, The other big one that we alluded to in the big mistakes is cross-collateralisation. And it deserves its own segment. We will debate. debate. Great debate. Great debate. It's a great debate amongst us. We may even have counter arguments here in terms of whether you do or don't. <laughs> uh, talk us through cross collateralization. First of all, what it is. But then secondly, you know, when can it be good and, and, and when can you, uh, you know, maybe put it in the, in the not to do basket? Well, I mean, you know, we could turn this into somewhat of a, a little bit of a debate, cuz, because in recent times we've discussed this. I'm, I'm somewhat anti cross collateralization, uh, but it's, it's probably because I haven't been faced with, um, having to do it in order to buy more. Whereas, uh, you've been a little bit more open to it these days. Well, full you? disclosure, I'm cross collateralized today. <laughs> 
I prefer not to be, but <laughs> I am. And now he's making the biggest mistakes in property. So, okay, so in basic terms, uh, cross-collateralization is essentially where you have all of your properties or, or your, your own home plus one or two plus investment pr- properties, um, all with the same lender. And they, uh, might even, well, there's all the same lenders. So often they're bundled together, but even further with that one lender, they can be cross collateralized, meaning all of the debt and all of the equity is effectively all lumped into one. And they don't look at them as sort of standalone properties. Property one, you know, your 400 debt, 800 value, property two, X, X, property three. It's all of the debt and all of the equity, which often means it's very hard for you to be able to take equity out or, or buy again. Or if you've got one property that's got absolutely no equity or, or it's, you know, net in the negative with one property with heaps, then you're, you're mute. You're mute. 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 I should say, not mute. I'll mute you in a second. <laughs> no, we're going to have to mute you. <laughs> Let me talk whenever you're ready. So, so, <laughs> so that is what cross-collateralization is in essence. There's nothing is sort of standalone. But, look, maybe run us through because um, why you don't mind it and, and why you've opted to go down that path of late if you're happy to share. So I bought my first six, uh, seven investment properties without cross collateralizing so i had different different loans with different banks and then uh i was wanting to go again uh, and build in adelaide with with my wife and unfortunately the bank said look uh we went around to to all the different banks i couldn't qualify with anyone except <laughs> in my instance the national australia bank and yeah. uh and and they've got my own home uh, and they said, look, we, we will lend you the money to go and um, buy this this next property, uh, but you've got to allow us to cross-collateralise the loans. And so I guess the decision for me at that point was I either can continue to grow my portfolio and get one more mm. or I've just got to sit out for, for, for however long and until conditions change. And, and look, we decided that, that uh, we were okay with the risk. Uh, we would obviously prefer to have different loans with different banks because it gives you a lot more flexibility to, to move things around. You're, you you know, you're not stuck. Um, but having said that, I, I am glad, I have to admit in hindsight, that we mm. were able to, you know, we've just finished building that property. It's rented out now. It's gone up a little bit in value and and, um, and the rents have gone up. So, you know, financially, it, 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 it's been a great um, outcome for us. And, you know, I guess the alternative was doing nothing. So, mm. you know, obviously the way I see it, cross-collateralization, avoid it if you can. But if it's the alternative to cross-collateralizing is doing nothing, then, yeah, I, I'd probably say, look, it, it's a risk that, that is manageable. Uh, can I ask you a question? Is your own home in that as well? Yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. Look, I I, I tend to agree with, with everything you've said, but... Uh, most clients or, or, you know, people that I've seen cross collateralizing don't realize that they are doing it. Um, and they, they don't, they don't know or understand or, or, you know, the broker hasn't explained mm. it to them. Mm. Um, mm. and so in some scenarios, it can put their own home at risk. Uh, so, you know, I'll just sort of say you just need to understand what you're doing and make a calculated and, and educated decision. I think, uh, James, you, it, it works for you because, you know what you're doing. You understand yep. the risks, yep. and um, and you're very comfortable with with real estate um, 
being you know, buying another piece of real estate being you know the the reason to take that risk for so look I, I'm I'm generally one, and, and one thing I would say is is I've got a plan we've got a plan I should say to oh, eventually unravel it um, we just need the rents to get to a certain point uh, so mm. it's, it's driven by once you get you know once you've got quite a number of properties the banks see it a little bit differently they look at what is your rent um, sort of provide as a way of, of interest cover. So, you know, at some point we'll we'll unravel it. But um, you know, it's it's just part of the journey and 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 I you know, I guess everyone's different uh, depending on their risk appetite and and what the end game is, I think, is ultimately how you arrive at the decision. You know, were we wanting to keep going? And we we wanted to keep going. Understand what you're doing and, and understand what cross collateralization is, right? And and look, try to try to protect your own home at all costs. That's where I would leave it there, Kevin. Absolutely. Protect the home. Hey, a uh, lot in this one. Jeez. This was I, content I think, heavy. I think we're outstanding. Podcasters and individuals. Got to be careful what uh, <laughs> the expectations we're setting here. Hope you're enjoying this, guys. Give us any feedback that you've got. Yep. Uh, we've got a few that have emailed in with some ideas of things that we'll cover in coming podcasts. So keep them coming. We're, we're getting things ready uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, any, yeah. uh, any last words to leave us with? Yeah, just keep your expectations of us very low. That's where I would leave that. <laughs> good, good outlook on life, that. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is thedoubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is thedoubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.